Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Greenwashed. You're with me, Jaspreet, and we've done a switcheroo again. Don Nicholson is on a, on this break and we have Jill Booth back here with me talking about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And today, Jill and I are going to be moving on the list, down the list, and we are at SDGs 9 and 10. Let's begin with SDG 9, Jill, and hi. Oh, I can't wait. Hi. Hi. How's it all going? (laughs) It never stops. It never stops. So SDG 9, Jill, and they talk about industry, innovation, and infrastructure the United Nations, that we need to now have countries working towards more resilient infrastructure so that businesses can thrive, innovation is fostered, there is green infrastructure all around, and ultimately, in their utopian dreams, they presume this would lead to thriving communities and safety from natural disasters and climate change. I don't, I don't believe they believe that for a minute. <laughs> I think they've just found out a, a great way to um, make our make our company structure a lot smaller, global, and um, yeah, and how to make money out of this. You know, sustainable industrialization, foster innovation, and build resilient infrastructure. Um, it must be the Dutch in me, but you know, I'm not panicking about a one meter or one millimetre um, sea rise, and we've always been able to build incredible infrastructure and resilient infrastructure right across the world. So, um, yeah, let's go. Where do, you, where do you want to start with this one, Jasper? Let's look at local government, Jill. Let's look at the fact, not just local government, just look at, and I'm drawing on this uh, very interesting discussion that Michael Laws had on the platform recently, and I think people should listen to that one, about uh, another elected member from Environment Canterbury. And they were talking about the sort of costs their communities are facing and how the future of the local government reforms that began earlier this year, the consultation, the so-called consultation, is talking about how local government is not fit for purpose. Everyone needs money. And uh, ultimately what's happening is communities around the country are facing eye-popping rates rises in the years, in fact, even in the next 12 months in in this current economic climate. This, the way I look at it, the way I view it, is a direct effect by all this nonsense in terms of policy being foisted down on us. Yes, and that was an interesting interview because, you know, he was saying that, like, every sector is crying out for more money. They they need more money. Uh, we don't need more money. We need a lot less money going to um, the bureaucrats and the consultants. And, you know, if, if we rejigged our local money um, and threw out half the nonsense, we'd probably do quite well. So it's... It's not so much a lack of money, it's how it's spent. But it's I think, policy. The local body. It's how much policy you are now being asked to look at every time you bring in something, say, like the farm freshwater plants, or having to relook yeah. at all your landfills, or you need to create, I don't know, bicycle lanes. 
or do you need to create rooftop gardens, pop on solar panels, wind energy, all of this? This all of this has a cost. It does, but it also goes back to not that many big companies. It's sort of like the, the little bit of the transfer of our wealth from, from us to them. So when you look at all the big consultancy firms, you, you talked about one, Tonkin and Taylor. Mm. Um, so that's a New Zealand company, but when you go and have a very good look into it, it's tied up with a whole lot of um, other alliances, global health, climate, um, global climate, um, the BBC. So there's a whole network that these companies um, are involved in quite often. And Tonkin and Taylor is quite a big one. Yeah, it says we are New Zealand's leading environmental and engineering consultancy with offices in New Zealand, Australia, and project offices in the wider Asia Pacific. And when I look at what they do, it says, and you know, listeners, bear with me. This is just a brief list of what they say they do. We do coastal services, catchment management, coastal geomorphology, coastal enhancement, protection, hazards, risk assessment, climate modeling, dam break assessment, environmental planning, noise and vibration, project deliveries, revegetation advice, sustainable business services, waste and contaminated land strategies, landfill monitoring, landfill gas management, air quality, geotechnical work, transportation, pavement design, geometric design, traffic engineering, all of this is going mm. on. And I would have thought, and we, we need all of this, don't, don't get me wrong here, but shouldn't all of this be happening within government? We have a works department, a public works department, people who are answerable, accountable. And the way I see it, and this might be a very simplistic way of looking at it, when all of these core functions end up going to a consultancy, there is is that democracy being outsourced? Is that infrastructure being outsourced to private players, which it often is? But where is the accountability? What is local government doing then? So, well, what is local government doing if it is outsourcing so much? And, you know, I've said to you before, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that human beings do quite well. We, we make mistakes, um, but we have managed to grow and build cities and we've made a, a mess and we've managed to clean up and something new comes along, we made a mess again, um, but we constantly clean up after ourselves. But now we seem to have these huge companies um, tangled up with other huge companies who are telling us exactly what we must do in our area. And I'm really big on bringing our local local solutions back to local people. Um, and these companies tend to look through a very narrow lens of climate change. Everything is around climate change. Um, and sustainability so you know it's a bit like when you're a hammer everything's a nail and, and some things are just fine and can be left alone and then developed as we need them but this whole this whole you know that when you think that um, a lot of these companies they think that people are, are dying all over the place because of climate change climate change is out of control that we've got far more disasters and they're trying to prepare for these things that that just aren't happening here in New Zealand. And how much do we pay for it, Jasper? How much do we pay for it? I mean, listening to the Environment uh, Canterbury elected member with on the Michael Laws discussion, he mentioned something on the lines of, he said, 120 million for various consenting regimes and freshwater plans and others on, from the council side. 
And then he said 80 million is what their community there would be giving in consents. I'm guessing it's over a few years. All doesn't happen right away. But that's $200 million that the community in Canterbury has to cover for one particular segment. And does putting a policy there ensure better water? Or is that, does, I mean, can we declare that a consenting regime will lead to better outcomes? Can we declare that if today, right, everyone starts living in high-density apartments for which the infrastructure via the smart cities uh, network of Australia and New Zealand is being created, what amount of global warming would be reduced? They can't put a figure on it. They can't tell us this, you do this, 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 all of New Zealand by next year will be 0.2 degrees less. They can't. Yeah. No, they can't. The, the smart cities infrastructure is an interesting thing. Um, what they want to do with smart cities is build where there is already existing infrastructure so you already have all your water infrastructure. And I think a lot of a lot of stuff around fresh water is actually to force us into smaller and more more compact um, more compact places. But because I'm old and I'm a cynic, a lot of the science that I hear about water and water testing and, and degrading quality, I actually don't believe. And I really encourage people to get their own water tested independently. And how much of those tests yeah. would, be, would be again conducted by the same consultants who are actually involved in the consenting and policy development also? Are people going to do themselves yeah. out of a job? No? Yeah. It's, um, but you know, this, the, the whole, this whole sustainable um, industrialization is is quite you know they've broken it down into quite a few sections so you know raise industry share of employment and gdp well what does that mean um increase the access of small-scale industrial and other enterprises to financial services including affordable credit so that's another part of the cobweb you know that everything when you follow the the money trail um upgrade infrastructure and retrofit industries to make them sustainable but that will profit companies like Fletcher's and the big building companies because everything's got to be brought up to a, to a green scale of, of building. Um, that, Like you said, what's the outcome? How do we know that's going to take have away any, the climate any, change? Yeah, where is the tangible benefit? You are asking for more and more. You're saddling. You're not even asking. It's, there's no ask there. It's simply you will cough up. This is what we put in place. You will cough up. This is another hoop you need to jump through. You will cough up. And that is that is what's happening from, uh, you know, a quarter acre section. They've told Kiwis, now you need to look at a, a quarter of an hour city. And that's where you will live, work and play. Yep. And uh, you are going to pay through your nose for that privilege. It is galling. It is. You know, we're putting $680 million of funding. So remember, this was from, from the report I'm reading from, was it uh, 2016? Mm. Um, so $680 million of funding over 10 years to be invested in a better start, ageing well, building better homes, healthier lives, high-value nutrition, um, biological heritage, our land, our water. It carries on and on and on. But what has that got to do with an out-of-control climate? None of that is measurable. All of that is virtue signaling. But what all of that does is lead to unsustainable debt, completely unsustainable. The rate rises this country is facing right now 
There might be a few places that are better off for now, but the rate rises that are coming uh, are going to see, you know, a reckoning coming mighty soon. Because there'll come a time when people can no longer afford and you can no longer keep pushing this. So if we have all of these experts and consultants, why isn't anybody screaming from the rooftops that this is actually what is going to happen? You know, and I, I understand New Ze- a lot of New Zealand's houses are quite cold, but, you know, you go back to the day we were also quite tough and we used to wear about three or four layers of clothing, um, oh. you know, but but we've got we've still got good houses. Then again, the point comes, Jill, it's like telling people who can't afford, uh, you know, bread and milk that, hey, there's some caviar planned for you. If you can't afford something, that is it. If you cannot afford any more policy for uh, whatsoever purpose, for saving the earth for uh, generations 100 years later, are you? how many of the people are ready to sacrifice their present and their children's future? Because the next 30, 40 years, the way I look at it, and pardon my French, are completely messed up. I won't use the word I was going to. Are completely yeah. messed up. <laughs> well but, done. I liked your restraint. <laughs> Yeah, but this well, is you know what are what are our children going to inherit? You know, um, they will inherit our debt. There's a good chance they won't be able to inherit um, our private property. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is all for saving the world. And remember, this is not happening just in New Zealand. It's happening in 193 countries across across the world. So you know, this is a global boondoggle. And um, too much bureaucracy, too many consultants and not enough room for us to just really breathe and get on with it. And I also think, you know, we need to take our fair share of the blame, Jill. Too distracted people, too distracted. Sometimes I think we don't really care beyond the next beer beach barbecue in no particular order. (laughs) Well, that's true. No, squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, you know, as human beings, we, we tend to be relatively trusting and we trust that the people that we've put in charge um, are in charge. Yeah. So it's, you know, if, and we, and yeah, so this, this is how this is. I mean, just, just look at the infrastructure anywhere. We're talking about resilient cities. You go and look at Toronga. That's, you know, a shell, a ghost of what it used to be. And I, I was in that area from 2009 to 2015 that general area about 100 k's away so some a place where we would travel quite often look at all the cities you have retailers pulling out smaller retailers hitting the wall and they talk about small businesses thriving yeah that's just just yeah. like the double speak that you and indulges in but let's now move on to sustainable development goal number 10 this is one of my faves absolute faves <laughs> it says reduce inequality within and among countries, what could be simpler? Let's just reduce inequalities. How do you do that? Well, you know, like you said earlier, communism. Just one word, communism. Everybody's reduced to being equally um, miserable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bet the people in Venezuela are no happier than the people in North Korea. No, no. And you yet, know. if I look at the United Nations website, uh, on the UNEP, United Nations Environment Program, under SDG 10, it says there needs to be 
the challenge that we need to face is exploitation of natural resources, which is leading to inequality, which is fueling conflicts worldwide. It says climate change disasters are exacerbating existing inequalities because, because the poorer countries are bearing the brunt of the West's affluence and, you know, wasteful uh, lifestyles. And we need to promote financial institutions to have, again, give access to everyone. Now, we are seeing that Australia this week has spoken about the fact that it's going to start giving visas, permanent residencies to certain islanders uh, from the Pacific because climate change. They are talking about pushing, uh, you know, the push for natural resources. But who's driving the demand for lithium, for the mining that's happening in Mongolia, in Africa? Who is actually pushing these inequalities? Well, you know, if, you, if you're going to go to a green energy, um, which we are, you know, doing, that means the poorer countries are being exploited for their for their mineral wealth. And this is that, that gobbledygook um, that the UN is so good at coming up with, like pretending <laughs> that everything is going to be all touchy-feely on the outside. But, you know, when you look at the, the mess that they're creating of, of the globe, with their lithium mining, those huge lithium ponds is something to to be seen. Um, <clears throat> the excavation of, of our rare min minerals, which China has most of, um, you know, and the countries that they're taking them from remain poor, often because they've got dishonest leadership. You know, so so all this touchy feely greenwash that we've got going on in Western countries, while well, we're just destroying the poorer countries. Yeah, we are, yeah. and you know, it is. It's easy to feel virtuous about certain things that people might be having, and people in the West, or even in you know where this is happening, to say that we are not influenced by personal interests, selfish self interest is. It's stupidity. Everyone is. Mm. So if there's an incentive to buy an electric car and there's a subsidy there, people will avail of it. If there's a subsidy to set up a solar system, people will avail of it. And if the numbers make sense in the free market, you should do it. But if you are availing a subsidy and then going there, realize that someone is paying for that. Mm. Yeah, and it's usually the poorest that, it, that it are paying for it you know every subsidy is government money and every government you know all government money is is um citizen money but you know this target goes beyond that too it's um empowering inclusion ensure equal opportunity policies to achieve greater equality what the hell does that mean that's it what i keep what, asking myself it is the um, whole thing that the u.s calls affirmative action and we have seen in terms of hipua and we have seen in terms of a separate Maori Health Authority, we've seen in terms of all the polytechnics being combined into one monolith, which is failing, already, you know, bleeding money. But all of that, that affirmative action was done for inclusion. And you have now, I was looking at uh, Genesis and, yeah, Genesis Energy's loans with Westpac for some, you know, green sustainability linked loans. And they have to do something for the Maori rangatahi, they have to do a certain something for women's inclusion and all of this. But what is that actually doing? People keep thinking that, hey, why is everyone suddenly things are getting racist? But that is the whole push from the United Nations. That's translating into your banks 
getting you to sign yes. loans, especially for bigger providers. You'll have, you know, you look at the uh, sustainability link loans of all these providers. All of them have more than the financial metrics there. Well, part of this SDG ten too is to is the regulation of financial markets. Mm. You know, again, too. So that's that's you know pulling all your banks into into doing the right thing. Yep. Um, talking about equality, I was reading this morning that um, the women's swim team in the states, none of them are going to show up if um, their That's male such. colleague turns up to, to race against them. And, and that just lifts my heart. So, you know, again, the, the complete um, contradiction of trying to make everybody equal and give them equality when clearly they're not from the start. Yep. You know, and we'll never be equal, but you can't have you can't have biological men in women's sports and then demand equality. But that is it. If I, I'm just uh, looking at this article, this is from a couple of years ago. Genesis and Westpac sign a hundred million sustainability linked loan with market leading emission reduction targets. But in the fine print, the loan says that what else would Genesis do? It has committed to delivering a range of education and training employments for young people in its communities. These include annual apprenticeships for Maori and funding part allocated to the Naga Ara Partnership. It uh, Secondary and tertiary scholarships in STEM and others. You have Fletcher's sustainability team talking about how they now have 10 days of transition, gender transition and affirmation leave and it the uh, its parent company being the first one in New Zealand to achieve the much wanted rainbow tick. All of this that we see that's coming into the corporate sector is coming down from the United Nations, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not. And does anyone actually think, Jill, do you think there's going to come a time when all of us are equal? They like diversity, I thought. Well, no, no, we're never going to be equal, but I haven't told my husband he might be due for menopause leave. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to keep that one a secret from him. But, you know, I'm I'm taking away his um, his equity and equality. <laughs> I, I know. And and that that's another word, equity. I think I detest it just as much as I detest the word sustainable because neither of them mean what they say. Sustainable is suddenly yeah. all about putting us into debt and equity well, is all about yeah. demanding equal outcomes without any, just wanting legislated equal outcomes. Yeah. And, um, you know, everything means the opposite actually of, of what, of what they say. I, you know, I can't hide my loathing of the United Nations. Um, I, I can't, I can't stand the fact that we're just not allowed to run as a country. Um, without this constant interference on on everything we do now, and when I was told that this would that these um, the UN was going to interfere in every part of my life, I actually didn't believe it for a start. But boy, it is there in spades. It's quite it frightening. Yeah, it is. But what's equally there in spades is now a whole lot of people suddenly this word, the United Nations and the SDGs, have entered into the vocabulary. I hear people talking about it, and it's no longer hidden. It's no longer hidden under the guise of, you know, some agreements signed everywhere. Most private players have UNSDGs somewhere or the other on their website. 
And if I were you listeners, I would be looking at our bigger consulting firms and seeing exactly how much work is being done within uh, the ambit of your local government or central government and how much is being outsourced. So at that point, I think Jill and I will call this conversation to an end. We'll be back next week with the next uh, couple of SDGs and they're going to be a humdinger. I think it's resilient cities and all of this. Let's dissect. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's dissect Auckland and Wellington next time around, Jill. But thank you so much for joining me today. And Tarot. Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much to all of you for listening to Greenwashed. This is Jasprit Boparai signing off. See you again next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. Jasprit Boparai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio.